Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where our MVPs are like a big old Texas ribeye. Big ambition, bold flavor, and a touch of Southern charm. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of, and a life of impact and freedom that you absolutely love. Have you ever played a game of darts blindfolded? You know, like hitting the bullseye is as likely as a unicorn presenting you with a winning lottery ticket, which I guess actually happened to somebody this last week, like 1.7 billion or something. Yeah, so I suppose it can happen. But when it comes to business, we often blindfold ourselves and throw darts and hope to hit the client's needs. And spoiler alert, that doesn't normally work. Kind of like the millions of losing lottery tickets that happen every single week. I think Slack is a pretty good example of this. They didn't just make a product and toss it in the wind. They created a channel for customer feedback right in their own app. And that let them pivot and tweak and near real time. And when this last update rolled out, you know, some of you may have noticed they took away the ability to see multiple workspaces at the same time. Really dumb idea, by the way. And they got very fast and vocal feedback and then rolled out a fix pretty quick. So fast feedback and response loop. And they built a tool that fits for like a glove for millions of users, albeit incredibly frustrating to use it for two weeks, especially for you know, hundreds of thousands of power users. But can you imagine if there wasn't fast feedback and response? You know, it's like mutiny, churn. Terrible stuff that none of us want. So how can we get this right? So step one is open dialogue. Close the monologue and embrace the dialogue. It's human-to-human bidirectional API. Ask questions, understand pain points, and listen more than you talk. You know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Give your clients an easy way to give you direct feedback. And that becomes extremely critical the bigger the company gets. Direct, straight from the source, completely unfiltered in their own words. So not some surveys that go out, anything like that. What we want is to get as close to the source as possible. And if you can build that into your app, even better. Step two, we want to co-create, don't dictate. This isn't some crazy Shakespearean soliloquy where you're the only one on stage. Involve your clients in the process. You're crafting this masterpiece together. And yes, companies like Apple, they do a big tech conference and reveal their latest genius for consumers to ooh and all over. But in reality, we aren't them. <laughs> None of us. And the best SaaS companies work with their ideal clients to crowdsource, to upvote, to build what they want. And guess what? When you do that, others just like them want those same things too. It's a really good reason to specialize. Think vertical SaaS. Step three is Iterative improvements. Collaboration, this isn't a one-night stand. It is a long-term relationship. And that's what we want with our clients anyway. Keep refining, keep tweaking, keep adapting. 
Think of it as a, a dance. There's a dance metaphor again, which I'm terrible at, but a dance where nobody wants to step on toes, but everybody wants to groove. I'd love to. I just can't. And, you know, I have to cut slack some, well, slack, you know, because we've done the same thing where dev eliminates a feature. They think it is important or hide something to make the interface look cleaner. Um, but it's better not to do stuff that nobody asked for, or at least test your brilliant improvement with power users, but make it a collaboration, a back and forth with your ideal clients. So who's ready to ditch the blindfolds and aim straight for what your clients truly need? Put down that random dart and pick up a scalpel. It's time for precision, not for guesswork. Let's create collaborative wins that make everyone feel like an MVP. What do you say? If you want your clients and your team to feel like MVPs, check out my book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. Small Fish, Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step frameworks, time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into your brand ambassadors. Pick up the print ebook or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com, Amazon, or your favorite book source. And remember, all book profits go to charity. And this month, we are supporting the Israel Emergency Fund at UJA Federation. There's a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about them. Our founder on Tuesday was Thomas Knoll. After working with a bunch of startups, he built five of his own with two exits, a few failures, and thousands of lessons learned. We talked about mindset and mental toughness and mental health that helps founders win. Super, super important to make sure that we take care of ourselves so we take care of our people. And our expert guest last week was Leon Barnard, who leads the design and education team at Balsamic. And on that episode, we talked about modern UX design and wireframing for everybody, including me. My big takeaway was how my team and I can use wireframing to successfully transfer ideas from one brain to another. Really great. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and check them out. My guest today is Vlad Hu. He is a SaaS consultant and fractional CTO who helps SaaS companies craft MVPs that get traction and scale into profitable organizations. His company is SaaS Insiders, and he also hosts the SaaS Insiders podcast. Welcome a fellow Texas transplant who creates SaaS from the inside, Vlad Hu. Hey, Vlad. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Jeff, it's a pleasure to be to be a guest today. Well, I, I love your your background. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. And how did you become a fractional CTO? Yeah. Um, in a couple sentences, my whole story. Um, born and raised in Ukraine, in the eastern part of it. I moved to the center, the, the capital in 2018, when some of the military stuff started happening in the eastern side. And then in 2022, again... Now I'm moving all the way here to Austin, Texas, uh, USA, um, to help more SaaS founders launch their MVPs to market. And that's where the fractional CTO happened is in my nature, I have a really technical background. I was working as a software engineer previously. And my special talent, my, let's say my superpower is to see tech through the lens of business. Basically, I can talk to a non-technical person, hear what the problem they want to solve with the software, and translate it into 
what tasks developers need to do, how can we achieve this? So because of that superpower, I helped over 100 founders launch their MVPs to market. That's amazing. How did you get into SaaS to start with? Probably just like most software developers, when they get started, they're just excited to build tools. Like, give me an opportunity to write a couple lines of code. I want to do that. That's my passion. That's why. That's what yeah. I learned. But over the years, I understood there's a really big difference between tools and assets. Hmm. Tools are the things that we use to grow our business, right? We can use like just this tool, like we are recording, like we're using this to grow our business. Assets on the other side are the things that produce the business, that produce the revenue. So there is a big difference between building a tool for internal, for the company, just to use it, because it only impacts the company that it's built for. It's another thing to build a SaaS because you can sell it to thousands of companies. So there is much more value you can build this way. It's the same thing. It's a software. But the philosophy behind it, how you build it and how you sell it, um, it just creates immensely more valuable in the marketplace and as a result, much more revenue for you as a company. Makes sense. So launching an MVP, how does a company go from idea to MVP and how do you know when, when you're there? Because I, I think we can easily build forever and it's just one more thing and one more thing. How do you know when it's time you've got an MVP and it's time to launch? Really, really, really good question. This is an important question because the word MVP itself, it stands for minimum, it stands for viable product. So it has right. to be all three. You, minimum, you cannot build for one year in isolation because then you just launch it and that's your first test, your first market test. That's not good. You invest tens of thousands of dollars upfront, no market research, and then just like... Let's hope it works, right? Well, we know the failure rate of SaaS businesses and just businesses in general, startups, right? So it is important yeah. to launch quickly. It's important to identify what's the absolute minimum thing I can do to test my hypotheses, whether it works. Um, v is viable, is viable, which is it still has to do something. It cannot launch a clickable demo that doesn't do anything. Um, what I... What I recommend people go through when I talk to people uh, who want to build SaaS is look through the idea through SaaS triangle. That's the framework that I usually teach. And it has three pillars. It has um, the world, real world burning problem that we're solving, the really laser focused ICP, ideal client profile, and the solution that is super targeted to that client profile. Usually when people come to me is when they explain their the idea, it almost sounds like I want to change the world. You know, really big yeah. ideas. I want to build this mass, massive thing. I want to replace 10 unicorns with this one tool. And like, that's a really good idea. Like, do we have $10 billion to invest into this right now? <laughs> right. And obviously <laughs> when it comes to the, right. how many resources we have for MVP. Um, I always recommend to start from not the idea, but the problem. Don't give me great ideas. Give me one great problem you want to solve. And then explain to me who suffers from this problem. Because if you tell me all the business owners are your customers, it means none, none of them are your customers. We need to go really specific. 
And then what is the absolute minimum that we need to build to solve that burning problem for that customer? So when you have all three pillars of this triangle, then we can talk about how this MVP can look like. And I always recommend for you SaaS founders who are watching this, if you are looking to build SaaS product, aim to launch the first version as quickly as possible and then iterate on it. So maybe you invest one, two, maybe three months for the MVP, but if it takes you half a year or longer, some industries can be like financial, healthcare, where there is a lot of regulatory measurements, there can be exceptions. But normally speaking, you want to launch as quickly as possible to get the first, the dirtiest version out there just to see how, how people react to it. Yeah. So one thing that I've found a lot, let's see if this is true for you as well, is a lot of times, um, you know, especially early on, somebody will come and they've got the bottom part of that pyramid complete. So they've got the solution. And now they're in a solution looking for those other two parts of the pyramid. They're looking for that market. They're looking for a problem to solve with their tool. You see that as well? Yes. Most of the time, people come to me with a solution. They say, I have this great idea. This is what I want (laughs) you to do. And the moment I start asking, okay, can you explain me what is the problem that we're solving and who are we solving for? This is where people start getting really generic. Most people have ideas. Ideas are valuable. People say they're worthless. They're valuable, but then they get multiplied by those things. How specific are you in the problem, in your target audience? And if all of those are zeros, I mean, I don't care how big your idea is, the total outcome, you know, the equation will be, will be a donut. Um, the reason I say that, I worked with over 100 founders. And I saw some really surprising successes and some pretty unexpected failures. And I've seen people come with average ideas, meaning they just get something on the marketplace that already exists, be it a web app, a Chrome extension, something that exists. They make it slightly better, but they know exactly what their problem they're solving. They know exactly who they're solving for. They can speak their language. And they really know how to distribute, how to sell, how to market this. And we've seen MVPs go from zero to quarter million users in a matter of a couple of years. And this, this growth is compounding. So now they're you know, adding tens of thousands per month. So it's just amazing. And on the opposite spectrum, I saw brilliant ideas. It doesn't exist on the marketplace. It doesn't. We were basically innovating. Um, Poor execution on marketing, poor understanding who they sell it for, zero results. The app works, no one wants to buy it because no one understands what that, what it does. Right. right. Well, you've seen a lot of different you know, SaaS companies, a lot of different products, your fractional CTO. What do you think the most common challenges are that SaaS founders face today? And how do you help them overcome those hurdles? <sighs> I speak to a lot of VCs myself, my mentors from the VC world. And um, a lot of times they say that techies, meaning technical founders, usually lack the marketing skills, the execution on growing this thing. So I will be speaking for the ones who are really interesting in the eyes of VCs, of investors, the, the people who can who are backable 
by by this industry. Those are usually your really talented marketers, salespeople, guys who understand other people, who know that there is a problem there and they know how to sell it. They just have no idea how to build it. The biggest problem yeah. is not knowing what do you need to look for. I'm, hmm. I'm not technical. Let's say I'm a marketer. Like I would even got people on my waiting list. I just need this to work. Just find someone who built it. So I'm looking for a developer, right? How do I know which one I choose? Well, I might go to Upwork, to Fiverr. I might go to my peer network. I can talk to a thousand developers. How do I know which one is working for me? Should I send them like a test assignment? Like I'm not technical. Should I try to speak JavaScript? Should I write my business by myself using ChatGPT? You know, and then tell developers what to do. <laughs> this is the worst, by the way. This is the worst. Yeah. When you take advice from ChatGPT and then you ask the real human to execute this, like you're getting Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I would say you need to find someone who's technical but who can speak your language. I'm I'm working on a book right now. It's called Founders Speak English, Developers Speak JavaScript. And um, <laughs> it's it's just different languages. You know? Yeah. Um, this is where this is where the problem lies. When you tell someone technical, hey, I need to solve this mo- this problem on the marketplace, and this is what I need to build, for them it's like API integrations, front end, back end, CSS, HTML, those things. They're thinking in those technical terms. And uh, this is where usually the barrier happens. Hmm. What I see and working the barrier just that they don't describe it well. They don't. They're they're talking about it in in what the product does, not in terms of solving a problem. Or what is that barrier? I think as a founder, what you do best is understanding your target audience, understanding the market. Like you are the sales engine. You just need something to sell right now. So you can communicate that in a great way, but if the receiving end doesn't understand English, it just translates it into JavaScript, there's only a small bits of pieces that they can pick that related to what I need to build. Not exactly why I build it, who I build it for. Um, and that, that has a huge difference. Uh, we've built apps for, that aim for Gen Zs. We've built apps that are aimed for a female audience 60+. plus. And you can imagine those are very different audiences and they interact with yeah. software in a really different way. <laughs> and if you just skip that, you can imagine how, how frustrated the, the, exper- the user experience might be. Yeah. My, my general recommendation is to look for someone that when you speak to them, they can almost reflect back what they heard about the business and the problem that you're solving. Because if you know that the message is well received and they always know that this is, this is why we build this, not for the sake of software, but this is the user's goal. This is what they need to do as a result of using your product. If you find that person and they know how to code or how to translate it to other coders, I think this is the, this is the chain element that's been broken for so many founders. They hired tech teams, but tech teams do what they do best which is building products, not necessarily solving a problem. Yeah, yeah. makes a lot of sense. But thinking about that, the pyramid, how do you find those, those two to start with in order to build a solution? Because you said 
we need to have a, a big problem and we need to have a very targeted ICP and then build a solution on the bottom. Uh, what strategies do you have to find those first two and, and know what to build? Just like any business, the purpose of business existing is, is, is solving a problem. So I think that's, the, that's just the beginning of it. If you come into the marketplace without knowing what you're building, it's just like you're starting without the foundation. So my general recommendation is solve the problem in the industry that you know by heart. What I'm saying is I see a lot of great people. A lot of success what I see is when people solve problems in the industries you know well. So maybe people from that's been in e-commerce for 10 years that was solving, selling some products on Amazon, on eBay, on Etsy, then see this opportunity. Hey, this is what's missing to help people just like me get more success. Or people mm -hmm. from insurance space, you know, we've been applying for 20 carriers to get a quote for thousands of offers per day. And the human yeah. element is we're missing a lot of data. I think we can automate this, remove the human element of this, be it in real estate. I think I can build an AI chatbot that could help me, you know, convert more people into my properties because I, I, there's so much things my VAs, my virtual assistants can do when they recommend it. I cannot scale it to thousands of people if I get 10,000 more traffic to my website. So I think it really comes from understanding your market and it just comes from experience. So if you have been doing business or if you've been working in a particular industry, even as an employee in a company, chances are you know what's wrong with your industry and you already know what's the problem and what's what's what is the target audience that would greatly benefit from it. Yeah. So a lot of times I think staff founders, once they have a product, once they have an MVP and they launch, they struggle with how do I price this thing? And it's really finding the balance between affordability and profitability. It's like, I want to sell it so it's adopted, but I've got to make some money. So what advice do you have for you know, pricing strategies? Pricing is, a, is like a separate game. It's one thing to just build a product. It's another thing to sell it. Um, what I recommend doing is the general idea is you want to charge as much as market allows you to. Meaning that if market is willing to pay you X, you should charge X, not 0.5 X. I, I find that just like in most businesses, there is such thing as value that the companies are getting from the product. They're either saving money, saving time that's converted to money, or they're making money or making more time converted to, to money. I really like the model of charging 10 times less of what value they're getting. What I mean is, let's say your software saves people or saves businesses $500 worth of someone else's time, or maybe generates you sales, so your top-line revenue is $500 more every single month. Generally, I think charging 10 times less, which is $50, would be justified. And if you communicate that value properly to your customers, it'll be a no-brainer. Because 10x is a little big number. You just divide it by 10. Um, 
the factor of competition comes into play, of course. Let's say you're entering the market that where existing tools do something similar to what you do. Now, if you charge three times more than them, people will be asking, like, well, what's, what exactly are you doing differently? Um, this is where it comes to positioning. This is where it comes to branding and to really communicating your value. Because once again, you take any industry, you take phones, you take food, you take any other commodity, there are low-cost options, and then there are some premium things that are 10 times more expensive, 20 times more expensive, but they're doing something similar. And the difference mostly in perception and perception of premium quality. Some small things as well. Um, so to kind of summarize what I've just said, uh, is value-based pricing, understanding how valuable your product to your clients and pricing that. And second is really working on your brand, really working on communicating your value so that your customer can justify the price that they're paying. I've said this many times and I'll say it again, technology becomes less and less of an edge for SaaS companies. Maybe five, 10 years ago, you can say, we have this proprietary tool that no one else has, those lines of codes that we've written and no one else has, and this is why we're special. As the time goes, AI enters the scene, the technology itself becomes more of a tool than an asset. Because you can see now AI startups popping up like this every probably hour, not even day. So probably chances are, as we spoke, maybe one or two startups have gone into market with some yes, AI tools. Yes. Um, I think having the agility in your mind is one important thing. It's always innovating. Because the moment you show something to market, it gets some traction people will, will be able to easily copy you, especially with the tools that exist now. It's not even months, it might be weeks or even days, something similar pops up. Uh, I still believe that distribution is key and the distribution ties into your understanding of what people want. I can probably find a hundred tools that do X, but probably only one or two of them will actually communicate why I need to do this, how exactly it's going to help me save my or make me money, right? Uh, one thing that I heard from my really good friend in business, and he heard it from someone else, but it is everyone, including me and you, is going in this, in this world with the invisible tag that says, make me feel special. So when you're in the world, when you're looking for some solution, for some help, how do I know that what you offer is exactly for me? Not for someone else, that this message that I'm reading, it speaks to me. How do I know that? This is where it comes to how well you understand your clients, which words they're using, and why they're looking for the solution in the first place. So we can probably speak for hours in terms of marketing and how we position this, but the general idea is, if you truly care about your customers and you know who they are, you will stand out in the in the marketplace with all of this noise. 
about technology becoming somewhat commoditized? Mm -hmm. Before I answer this question, my answer today, three months ago or three months later, would probably be different because of how quickly the technology is developing. The general, the general idea is low code is designed for you to ship faster, but it has more limitations because it's low code for you, but it's a hard code for developers who built it, right? So it's still written in a specific language. So there are certain barriers that you cannot go over. So we can think of tools like Bubble or some other alternatives. I don't know many of them because I don't personally use it, use them myself, but I do believe those are amazing tools for prototyping and for launching really scrappy, really simple MVPs to test the market for you as a non-technical founder. I cannot say that this is a long-term strategy for your product. So if you plan to stay in this business for one, two, five, ten years, you're probably not going to survive on your bu bubble prototype that you've built yourself overnight. Um, so when you use those tools, you have to be prepared that at some point you will need to build to build a product in a custom way. Once again, this is Vlad speaking in 2023. Maybe if we have this podcast again in la next year, I will say, you know what? Change my mind. Now you can just send a link to Stripe and it will build a Stripe for you. You know, But as for now, for founders that are listening to this as we speak this year, no code, local tools, really good to get started. But you have to keep in mind that building your app in a custom way is probably going to be a necessity once you start seeing growth and building something more complex. Yes, one thing I have, and if, if you'll be open for this, maybe we can give it to your audience. What I've built to this topic is a guide on how to build your AI chatbot and put it on your website, train it on your data. So it basically works almost like your sales assistant, 24-7, knows your business with zero code, like no tools, uh, no, no, no code, just using existing tools. There are a lot of tools that tell you to build chatbot, to train it, and then to add it to your website. I've got so many requests for this. Like I'm speaking dozens of per day. Can you help me build this? And I know it's already possible to do. You can and you can you can literally launch it in a couple hours if you know how to. So I've built this guide. It's not even live for general audience, but maybe for your audience as a bonus, we can we can give it for free as well. Um, it's really good to build a first version of it. It's really good to build the first version of an AI chatbot. But the moment you start building some custom features, maybe I also wanted to talk to my CRM, maybe I also want this, this, and that. This is where we need to start building something custom. So this is really a prime example of start scrappy, no need for developers, but as you start getting some validation, maybe seek for some technical help. I like that. We'll definitely link it in the show notes. So that's something that's of interest. Hop over to SAS Fuel and look at the show notes, and, and you can go over there and, and get that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting thinking about you know SaaS founders. They get to, they build something, you've got the MVP, you launch, and then there's a, a lot of pressure to constantly innovate and, and push boundaries you know, because the, the market is moving really fast. So they don't want to be left behind. They want to stay with it or get ahead of it. Uh, how do you manage to stay creative and come up with fresh ideas in a demanding environment like SaaS? Talk to your customers. 
I think those four words basically define it. Being creative just for the sake of being creative might get a splash of attention and interest, a short-term interest. But I would rather spend my time talking to customers I'm already serving, say, hey, what are you missing? Let's say I had a magic, magic wand, right? If I gave you a couple of features like this, what would you want to see in a product? Oh, I, will, I, would, I would like to see this. I never thought about this, but how could I? I'm not seeing you from your lens. I'm not experiencing that problem myself. Um, the, the more we have those tools like AI to build products, to be creative, I feel like people like us have even more edge because it is so easy right now to be really competitive because no one cares about their customers. They want to launch products. It's easier than ever. I can launch 10 products instead of one right now for the same price. But no one really talks to their customers. No one really understands what people need because you're building something for, for people. There is another person on the line. They're just a digit for you, but there's a real human being who have their problems. So just like with the whole world right now, uh, you know, if we speak about maybe 40 years ago, I think the general work ethics, the general idea of hard work, determination, and discipline, I think it was much, much more strict. We had much more competition in that sense. Right now, I can say from my experience, what I see around, by just being disciplined and determined, you're already ahead of 95% of all the people that are competing with you. Same will mm-hmm. go for this technology. The more accessible it becomes, the more, the more will be the noise, the more will be like, like competition. But really, it's just going to even lift you more up because you're really caring about your customers and you will just get as a smaller and smaller percentage of those people. So you'll become more rare and more valuable as a result. One of those is a founder that I helped that now is a great, great friend of mine. Uh, it's called Everbe. And uh, its founder, Cody McGuffey, um, had an idea to, to solve a really particular problem in the industry that he's in. He is, uh, he's an Etsy seller, if you know what Etsy is. If you don't, it's a marketplace kind of similar to Amazon. So it's a marketplace of products. And he really saw the opportunity that the market, the product research feature is missing from most of the existing competition on Etsy. Like you cannot see the metrics, the sales those products are getting filtered by most compelling industries and basically create those products to generate sales. There wasn't many tools that address that. And if there were, they did it poorly. So in essence, he just launched a better version of what already existed. And to me, it sounds like for most founders who are excited, it sounds boring. Like you're not, you're not innovating. You know, you're just, you're just improving something existent. That's not a huge leap in terms of, uh, you know, creation. But because he was the seller himself, because he knew what problems people are going through, he could make it much better. Small changes in a product, but it adds so much value to customers. He was able to grow. This is one of the examples I gave in the beginning of the show from zero to now six figures of users, just users, not even speaking revenue in terms of like 
how, how quickly you can grow the moment you start solving the real problem. That's one of the examples of you don't need to have a visionary idea. You just need to have a really good problem to solve and a hungry crowd. Because if you have enough people that are hungry, your average burger will be very well welcome. Right. And your background, you you know, faced a, a lot of adversity in, in getting, you know, moving in Ukraine, getting to, to Texas, which I think is awesome. And, and I think we can do that as entrepreneurs as well. I mean, you know, failures, setbacks, things that we thought were going to happen, and now we're going a different direction. Um, how do you how do you manage mental energy and and continue to work on yourself to uh, you know to keep yourself motivated to really kind of master yourself to to become a great leader? You know, Jeff, there are things that happen in in all of our lives that we see as bad luck, something bad happens. Maybe we lose financially, maybe we lose relationships, or even our loved ones, our friends, we lose something, and for us, it looks like a setback. It was for me so as well in 2022. I was staying late at night, uh, working my sales skills, not that very much good sleep, because you know who needs sleep? When you, when you drink nine cups of coffee, when you are just in the flow, you're not really consciously aware of what you're doing. It's just like this cycle. When the business is going up, your ego is going up as, as well. You have a big team. Like you don't pay attention. You are the top of the world. You know, you're king of the kings, the smartest guy in the world. But then something happens, you know, and then it's like just in a glimpse, nothing of that matters. There is something much bigger some problem, some adversity that immediately makes you sober. And uh, it's frightening. You know, me going from that, for that experience, uh, I'm only now in Austin, Texas since December last year. So it took me almost a year with all of the moving parts, all of the travels, like the whole family bringing with me as well. It was a lot of stress. I think what it told me is when something, something like this happens in your life, it sets a baseline of how things can be. Uh, they told me I, I smile a lot right now. I smile much more than I did before. And they're wondering, like, how come? You, you run through this shit, basically, and now, and now like you're the smallest person in the room. And the answer is, I know how it can be now. I know how it can be now. So things like this, they bring immense gratefulness for everything you have in life. I wouldn't be here talking to you, wouldn't be having this episode if for if not for everything that happened in my life. So I think one thing I learned is always asking, what are the lessons for me here? What can I learn from this experience? Maybe you launched a SaaS product and it didn't work yet, right? What lessons I can learn from this? How can I adjust my expectations? Um, always compare your ego to your bank account. See which one is bigger. The moment you see that your ego is bigger, we, we need to get to the student's mentality, to the beginner's mentality. I know nothing. I need to learn. Masters are, masters are the students who are always learning. So those things, they're not really related to specifically SaaS or even business. It's just something that 
we can all learn and internalize within us. And if we do, like I, I'm working on it right now, personally, still in the process, still a lot of things to do. It improves everything around you. It improves the quality of people you're talking to, your relationships, and your businesses overall. Business is a reflection of you. If you take care of your mental health, take care of you and people around you, business will reflect that. If you don't, you will see according results. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. It's, it, I think it's hard for us a lot of times to take care of ourselves as leaders because we're taking care of other people and we've got all this stuff to do and, and it's just something that gets pushed down in priority. How do you turn that around and make yourself a priority and, and you know take care of yourself first? From Speaking from my experience, I think a lot of it comes to celebrating your achievements and your wins. I'm coming from a family background that was really demanding for me. You always need to strive for more. You always need to get next milestone. It's almost expected for you to excel. And um, what I learned, I, I never celebrated my wins before. And by the way, this is not about even SaaS. This is just personal, right? I never really celebrated my wins. Meaning that when we achieve some milestone, I'm like, yes, that's what we're supposed to do. Let's, let's go next. And what happens over time, you basically stop almost like caring about where you are. And it's really hard to measure and celebrate what, where you, where you become. Like if you look back five years ago, it's going to be obvious, but in the moment, it feels like you're not progressing. This is where you start sacrificing your family, your health. Because it feels like you're not moving fast enough. Let me add more hours. Let me push further. Let, let, me, let me put more gas, you know? For me, it was a problem. I wasn't aware of things I achieve. And as a result, I always feel I'm not good enough. I need to do more. And this is how you start, you know? This is how you go into long nights. This is how you go into weekends. This is how you go into ignoring your friends and family. So for me, one thing, if anyone could relate to this listening to the show is if you're not celebrating your progress, you, you need to do that because it's, it's going to do wonders. We get more of what we celebrate. That's good. Well, I know you have a podcast of your own called SAS insiders getting quite a I following there. How did you start the podcast? And what kind of topics do you talk about on the show? I mostly talk to SaaS founders who are series pre-seed, seed, maximum series A, not too far away. I keep it in the beginner mentality uh, because I want other founders to learn firsthand from founders that get traction on what it took to get from zero to one. Um, the reason I started this is... As I'm working with founders, it's natural for me to see what are the other ways I can help them. And it's one thing is just me sharing what I learned. It's a whole different topic to talk to, you know, founders who, who are really creative in the beginning. They figured out the waitlist, the distribution before they even build a product. You know, and that picking those small things from those journeys, it inspires you to be more, um, to be more conscious about distribution, about what is the problem I'm solving, what are those things. It's one thing I tell it, 
the other thing is 10 people around me tell the same thing. Maybe that's truth. You know, sometimes we need 10 perspectives to, to come up with a conclusion. Uh, also, I have plans to introduce a couple of VCs as guests because a lot of us are building SaaS products that will require funding. And uh, what do we need to be funded? Because we go to VCs, we hear, usually we hear no, not helpful, <laughs> right? Sometimes they give you some. If you get to a really good VC, they give you feedback on what you need to do to be fundable. But a lot of times you'll just hear no or some, some kind of an excuse. So I really want founders to have everything they need to go through multiple stages of their business without having to go into value of death, or at least for as little as possible. Yeah. Um, I started by just reaching out to people I know, to a couple of my clients, to a couple of people I know in SaaS industry that are excellent founders, and this is how we started. Nice, nice. So what's your take on, on funding? Yeah, how, how early should a uh, you know, founder be looking for funding? Should they bootstrap for a while? Should they you know, specifically look for funding? or self-fund, or you know, what's your take on that? I'm not a big, a massive proponent of pre-seed funding. Um, and the reason for that is usually at that stage, you're not very attractive to professional investors, to institutional investors, for example, VCs, right? Because the question you're asking is, do you have traction? No. Well, let's come back when you have some. You know, what are your right. unit economics? Those things you get when you start getting customers, when you start getting revenue. Profitable, not profitable, you have some metrics, some data that you can present. So what usually happens is if you don't have that, you hear no from professional investors. So where do you go? You go to family and friends or you go to some angels and you usually get some draconic terms. You get a, a tiny check for a big piece of your company. And let's say it works. Let's say it works, right? Let's say it works out. You start growing. Now you need serious capital. You go to the EC and they ask you, okay, like how much debt do you have or how much, how much of the company you have? Oh, I give 30% for, you know, $20,000. Right. I, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. <laughs> and now you're asking for 10 million valuation, right? So how, how do we, right. how does that make sense for us? So. I really, really want founders to get some traction, to bootstrap to a point where you have some unit economics to work with and then make a decision. If you see and you want to make it a lifestyle business, you want to make it profit-driven business, right? How much cash I can extract, invest, and then become wealthy. You can stay bootstrap. If you want it to go value-driven, I want to build this business as fast as possible humanly possible, we get massive valuation and exit, maybe it makes sense for looking for investors who can also help you find the next round and the next round and help you with tools you need to get there. So I think it's just two philosophies and you need to choose which one you want to go by. Sense. Well, where can people learn more about you online? I have a YouTube channel where I post a lot of, a lot of videos for SaaS founders on different topics, not only about market fit, but also on your leadership. They also have a team um, on self-mastery, some things really people talk, not talk about enough. Uh, on my podcast as well, I'm interviewing really great founders, so make sure to check it out. Um, if 
possible, Jeff, I'll, I'll just send you the links to include uh, on the bottom uh, in the description of, of the episode so people can connect. And LinkedIn, of course. I'm mostly active on LinkedIn on social media. So if you need help or you need advice or just you want to make friends, business friends, uh, just connect with me and uh, I'll be more than happy to do so. Very good. And we'll make sure and like all of that in the, the show notes. And be sure to check out Vlad's podcast, SaaS Insiders, as well. Vlad, Thank you, really enjoyed having you on the show today. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to having you on my podcast, if you'll be open to it. That sounds great. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Vlad, for coming on the show and sharing your insights. You can learn more about Vlad and SaaS Insiders at sasinsiders.com. And be sure to check out his podcast also. It's the same name, SAS Insiders. I have an episode coming up with him shortly. So you have to check that out too. All links, highlights, including the one for SAS Insiders, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And remember that our video episode shorts and quite a bit more content is available on our YouTube channel. Share it with a friend and subscribe. And everyone who subscribes this week gets an MVP, Minimum Viable Product, blueprint puzzle piece together your very own product strategy but be warned some of the pieces are intentionally missing that's what makes it a minimum viable puzzle well join us next tuesday where our founder is yaroslav lazor ceo and founder of product studio railsware he led the product development of hundreds of SaaS products then a few of his own we talk about winners, losers, and building future-proof applications in a fast-moving world. And then next week, a week from today, on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Arnab Misra, COO of Exactly. We explore maximizing T performance, alignment, and wrap up with the unicorn fallacy. You will love this episode. I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!